This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Ready? Okay. Give me a beach. Beach! Give me great food. Tacos! Give me adventure. Hiking! Give me a date night. Sunset cruise! Give me some smiles. Cheese! Give me more beaches. Beaches! What's that spell? San Diego! If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. The Elevation with Stephen Furtick podcast was created with you in mind. This is a podcast for those feeling discouraged or needing guidance from God. Together in this podcast, we'll dive deep into scripture, uncover the powerful truths that will help you rise above your limitations and embrace your full potential. We're here to equip you with the tools you need to conquer life's challenges. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to Saver, production of iHeartRadio. I'm Annie Reese. And I'm Lauren Vogelbaum. And today we have an episode for you about panettone. Which I have never had. Oh? I had zero idea what it was when we started. Oh, really? Zero. Mm-mm. Oh, heck. <laughs> no way. <laughs> oh, that's so exciting. What a what a what a delicious thing to get to learn about. Um Yes. Yes. Uh this one was I appreciate it because while a lot of the stuff I'm gonna talk about in the history section is probably not true. Legend <laughs> stuff of legend, we'll say. Yeah. It was nice that so many people had written about it and it felt more concise than a lot more of our a lot of our other topics huh. lately. Um so I liked that and because I researched it, now I'm seeing it everywhere. Like and now oh, like, sure, one of those I'm getting all these ads for it. <laughs> all these local restaurants are like, Hey, we made Panettone and I'm like, ah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <try> it. <laughs> and you will and you will start seeing it in shops like now that you know to look for it right there there are uh, an increasing number of shops in America that carry it so um yeah I'm familiar with it because um I have a friend whose family is from Argentina and uh and and his father would always have a panettone around Christmas time um and it was just one of the like most lovely like kind of like like coffee break like snacks to mm. to sit down and enjoy. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, but I've only had uh, uh, like store bought, like pre packaged ones. They're usually store bought, but I've never had like an art artisanal uh, oh. panettone. Mm. So now I'm like, oh man, <laughs> I'm about to order like an eighty dollar cake. Like this is <laughs> <laughs> expensive, Lauren. <laughs> <laughs> and this is research. <laughs> it is very, very important research. I need to know about the texture. It sounds amazing. Oh, it is amazing. Oh, the butter. People are talking about putting butter on it. Okay. Oh, um, no. Okay. Yes. <laughs> too yes, good. Yes. Too, too delicious. I'm so excited. Uh, you can see our fruitcake episode actually related. Um, uh-huh. 
we've done, I would say, some relative, like in the world of cake and bread, some episodes that are uh, relevant. But... Uh, sure, maybe a king cake. I I think yeah. would be would be a good one to to reference. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But if you're like me, huh. then perhaps this brings us to our question. Yeah. Panettone. What is it? Well, uh, panettone is a type of a sweetened bread or cake that's risen and risen and risen with yeast, uh, typically studded throughout with uh, dried or candied fruit or, or other morsels, like maybe chocolate chips or something. Um, they're baked up uh, round and very tall, like like about a foot tall, like maybe like 30 centimeters or so, um, often in a, uh, in a, in a mold, like, like a paper mold um, that the cake will dome up out of. They're fluffy with a fine wheat flour and rich and golden with eggs and butter and can be flavored in any number of ways. But but in my experience, tend to be on like the more straightforward and uh, not not too sweet, like maybe a little bit of vanilla, uh, maybe a topping of, of crunchy nuts or sugar crystals or a glaze. Um, they're sliced and served in wedges as a snack or a treat, um, or once they've gone a little bit stale, turned into French toast or bread pudding. Uh, just so, so soft and simple, but in this airy, elegant, kind of decadent way. Um, it's like the, the higher the cake, the closer to God. Um, they, they make me feel like I'm having coffee in an Edwardian era advertisement for coffee. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. Once again, spot on. If you are like me, listeners, and you don't know what this is, look up the pictures because it's quite the height is pretty impressive on some of them. <laughs> they're 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 pretty stunning. Um, yeah, I mean it, it is it is a it is a bread that is meant to be stunning. Yes. <laughs> mm-hmm. And 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 I say that as someone who is frequently stunned by bread. I'm like bread. Um. So. <laughs> So yeah, um, okay, and 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 right, the, the bread here is like the star of the show. Um, it's a sourdough. Um, the, the types I've I've had haven't tasted very tart, though. Right, I haven't had one made fresh, so maybe I'm super missing out. But um, uh, yeah, uh, they, they are painstakingly made from from a yeast starter that's developed over the course of days, and then risen over the course of more days, then baked, and they're cooled upside down um, to prevent them from collapsing. Uh, more on all that in a sec, because like, this is a whole process. And first I want to talk about, um, the other components that we're dealing with. So, uh, so candied fruit is the most traditional, uh, uh, featured ingredient here. Um, and, and specifically candied citrus, uh, lemon, orange, citron, something like that. Uh, raisins that have maybe been soaked in a sweet wine are also popular, but, but anything goes really. Um, and bakers in different parts of the world use what's popular locally, um, uh, candied apricots or figs or papaya or chestnuts. Uh, chocolate chips are also common, right? And, uh, and these things will be, uh, spangled evenly and, and prettily through the dough. So it almost reminds me of like the lights on a Christmas tree. Um, oh, just mm-hmm. kind of little little pops of color throughout, um, mm-hmm. but yeah, uh, yeah. Any any anything goes. Um, you can make the the batter with cocoa or saffron or cinnamon. You can put some some vertical stripes of of, of cream that's been flavored with, I don't know, like amaretto or limoncello or or hazelnuts. Um, you can top it with a sweet frosting or icing. You can even get them plain. Whoa! I know, wacky. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> although plain is, is, is more a feature of the related Pandoro, um, which is from all oh, from, from a, another area of Italy. 
close by. Anyway, okay, uh, we're talking about uh, uh, panettone today. Yes. Uh, so, making this thing. <laughs> okay. Um, uh, I, I saw, I, I read so many different descriptions of what specific bakeries do, and it is wildly complicated. Um, I, I'm, I'm terrified of, of yeast dough to begin with because it's so like, it can be so finicky um, and it, it seems like a lot of work. Although, I mean, sourdough bread is like my favorite thing to eat. So anyway, but this is a lot. Um, okay. You begin with a sourdough starter. Um, that is a colony of uh, friendly yeasts and lactic acid bacteria that you keep alive, but like fairly inactive um, in a slurry of flour and water. So uh, so the first thing that you want to do is activate them, uh, get them to grow. Uh, that's because the lactic acid bacteria are going to work to prevent unfriendly bacteria from growing as your dough develops um, and also add some lovely tart flavors. Um, and then your yeasts are going to be providing the carbon dioxide bubbles that help your, your dough reach such, such great heights. Um, in Milan, where this is a traditional pastry shop craft, uh, the starter is called the mother yeast or the mother dough, and some shops have been keeping theirs alive for like 80 years running. Oh, that's some of my very favorite things. I know. I love that. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That, and, and right. And that reminded me of our San Francisco or of our sourdough episode and some of the bakeries in San Francisco that have been doing similar yeah. things. Huh. Mm -hmm. Okay. <laughs> so for panettone, um, you, you take a bit of starter and feed it with flour and water and then let it rest at around room temperature, though people get very specific about their temperature ranges. Um, and, you, and you do this twice, about four hours apart, and then a third time for a little bit longer. This is going to be the base of your dough, to which you add more flour and water, probably, um, plus some egg and or egg yolks, uh, butter and sugar. You knead that. You let it rest. Let it rise. Then you punch it down. Hit it with more of the same again. Let that rest and rise. Punch it down. Add your mix-ins. Let that rest and rise. Punch it down. Okay. Then... You round the dough, um, uh, kind of, kind of do like a little stretchy, stretchy on the top, so that it'll, it'll have like a nice, um, uh, uh, not firm crust, but a, but, but, a, but the capacity to be elastic and and let the let the thing really stretch in in the oven. Um, uh, okay, and then you place it in your mold or your sleeve, let it rest and rise. Each of these rest and rise periods, the leavenings, takes about six hours, or maybe up to twenty four hours. Like, this is a bread that you are working with for, like, three days. And from what I understand, that is, like, three days minimum. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, but then, finally, um, it is ready to score, uh, meaning you make slices in that stretchy top to let steam escape when it gets hot, and you bake it. Afterwards, yeah, it's placed in a rack that hangs it upside down while it cools. Um They'll come in these uh, tall boxes or get wrapped up in pretty paper. Um, it's just so, so festive. So nice. Mm. Um, <laughs> really popular around Christmas and the New Year um, and at other holidays in various places around the world. Um, and yeah, you can embark on this mission at home. Um, but again, they are traditionally like a thing that you buy, not a thing that you make yourself. Yeah, most of the recipes I read were quite complex. Um, yeah. And time-consuming. So, yeah, you can do it. <laughs> but... oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, oh, my goodness, if you have done this. Yes. We need photographs. <laughs> yes. And if you, in general, because there are some amazing flavor combinations people have yeah. tried. Yeah. I'm talking, like, caviar in Ooh, here. So... what? <laughs> yeah, okay. like, anything you can imagine 
people have tried to put in a panda tuner. <laughs> That's so good. Yeah. Yes, I know. So please let us know about that as well. <laughs> oh, but speaking of, ooh, what about <laughs> the nutrition? <laughs> oh, it's a you know, cakes are cakes are treats. Um, uh, I you know probably actually has a decent bunch a uh, bunch of protein in there from the butter and eggs and flour. Um, yeah. but you know, treats are treats are nice. Treats are nice. It's the holidays. Yeah, treats are nice. Hmm. It's the holidays. Go for it. Um, <laughs> we do have some numbers for you. Mm-hmm. Okay, during the holiday season, which in the article I was reading this in was defined as like September to December, Italian shops bake thousands of these breads. Yeah, uh, Italy alone produces over 7,000 tons of panettone a year, um, and Italians consumed some 75 million of these cakes as of 2016, um, like per year, yeah. Um, They're also very popular in South America. Um, That year, Peru consumed some 42 million. Um, But the biggest producer is probably uh, Brazil's Baruco. Am I saying that right? I'm not sure. I didn't look it up. I'm so sorry. Uh, but but yeah, um, it's an industrial producer that cranks out 200,000 tons a year out of six bakeries, like big old industrial bakeries, um, which they then ship to over 50 countries. Wow. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Ooh. Okay. And 70% of Italians say that it is an integral part of Christmas. Wow, interesting. Um, according to one source I found, the average Italian family eats about two and a half panettone a year, which is about five point five pounds. Huh. Uh, and right, and that's 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 average. Yeah. Um, the, there there can be a lot of panettone <laughs> yeah. involved over the course of a holiday season. Um, some families are scaling back though during the pandemic um, due to rising food costs, uh, things like you know butter and wheat uh, having an impact um, uh, on the final price, money being tight overall. Uh, the cost of panettone was up about eleven percent year over year as of December twenty twenty one, adding like a euro or two to the price tag of each cake. Um, Though at the same time, um, the high-end panettone production was on the rise. Like bakeries were making more year over year than they had previously. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, There is um, a a festival every November called um, King Panettone, or I I think Ray Panettone, um, that's been in in, in Italian, um, that's been running since 2008. Uh, it invites bakers to bring their like best, weirdest, freshest panettone for display and tasting um, with an emphasis on the fresh there. Uh, like no artificial additives or preservatives are allowed. The same organization that throws this also provides certifications of authenticity to local pastry shops cakes. And they are petitioning UNESCO to add panettone to their um, list of uh, intangible heritage stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They do take it quite seriously. Uh, yes. Yes. And I've seen some like definitions of what is, you know, authentic Italian panettone. Oh, yeah. And at a 2007 press conference, oh. an Italian official claimed that seven out of 10 Americans purchasing an, quote, Italian style panettone are getting a fake. <laughs> uh, yes. They're he was probably referring to these like industrial industrially produced 
uh, ones. But yeah, uh, I mean, Italy only sells about 10% of what it makes internationally. So, so yeah, I mean, I guess he's not wrong, but, <laughs> uh, but he's also intense. <laughs> He is intense. He is intense. And he, he was he was working off a strict definition, I remember, in the article. So oh, yeah. you, can, you can look that up. But <laughs> Panettone, I mean, he's also not wrong in that it has long been associated with Italy in history. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. And we are going to get into that history after we get back from a quick break for a word from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, A military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm preaching to somebody today who is waiting for God to give you your next step. And you don't know what it is yet. You need God to show you your next step. Because God, I can't stay where I am like I am where it is. This isn't going to work. I I have to move on, but I don't know where. A lot of time you'll use it as an excuse. Well, I don't know how. I don't know where. I don't know what. God, if you show me. God, if you tell me. God, no, 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 no. You know enough right now. And if you needed to know more, he would show you. Hey, this is Stephen Furtick. I want to invite you to listen to my podcast, Elevation with Stephen Furtick. I am here to help you for the battles that you face in life, for the times when you feel discouraged, for the times that you need guidance from God. I want to give you the truth of what he says about you to help you rise to your full potential. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. back thank you sponsor yes thank you yes and like i hinted at at the top i kind of appreciated the research for this one because 
while I think a lot of these are probably apocryphal, they're uh-huh. fun stories yes. and they were very concise. It was nice that so many people had written like, this is the story, even if none of them match, really. <laughs> um, so we're going to go on that journey together. Yeah. Uh, because, yeah, like with many pastries, this one does have a lot of legends about it, how, how it came about. Um and the roots, according to some sources, go back to ancient times, like per- perhaps most specifically to ancient Rome's penem triticum, a bread loaf that used eggs and raisins to give the, the bread a sweetness to uh-huh. it. Um, most historians do cite Milan as the home to our more modern day understanding of panettone. All right. So this brings us to some of the legends, some of the stories. By the time the 1300s rolled around, citizens of Milan often celebrated Christmas by partaking in three loaves of wheat bread. Uh, the wealthy and rural class would like cut out these slices of these loaves for their friends, families, potentially clients. Huh. Um, okay. Yes. And it was such a popular tradition that a decree was issued in 1395 that required that Italian bakeries make this bread available to everyone on Christmas. Um, one reason for this was because it was expensive. According to a BBC article I read about it, uh, wheat was so exorbitantly expensive for so many that almost all bakeries in Milan made wheat bread only once a year during this time. And that once a year was somewhere near Christmas. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's certainly like all wheat bread because at the time, uh, spelt or, or rye or mixtures thereof were much more affordable. Yes, and the candied fruit was viewed as indulgent and luxurious since it had to be imported. Um, and the bread itself, while light, took up enough space to make a statement. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, and, and right, uh, in terms of the candied fruit, um, I mean, uh, uh, raisins might have been fairly common, but uh, but certainly the candied citrus peel, like citrus in any form, was such a luxury outside of the areas where it was grown until very recently. Right. So panettone, or or this bread, uh, was a treat and an expensive one, a difficult one to make and to procure. It was time-consuming, and that's part of why it became associated with the holidays and gift-giving. However, panettone is adaptable based on available ingredients, and people did experiment with it, um, and they continue to do so. Oh, my goodness, do they? Hmm. And some of these experiments yielded a more accessible product. Some yielded a less accessible (laughs) product. It went both ways. (laughs) Yes, yes. But there is a much more specific legend about how Panettone came to be that is very widely told. Mm -hmm. Um, It tells of a kitchen boy in the court of the Duke of Milan named Tony, short for Anthony, I believe. Um, Mm -hmm. And so while he was whipping up some Christmas Eve desserts for the Duke in the 1400s, Tony accidentally burnt the treats or the chef did. Um, Oh, no. Yes. Oh, (laughs) desperate, desperate to salvage the situation. Tony took some of the dough, mixed in some sugar, eggs, raisins, and candied fruit, resulting in a large, sweet loaf of bread. Gosh, I wish my accidents turned out like that. I know, right? (laughs) Oh, geez. Um, As these stories often go, the Duke loved it. He loved it. Um, He named it El Pan de Tony. (laughs) <laughs> and declared oh. it an official Christmas dessert. <laughs> mm-hmm. So pan panettone. Yeah. 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 Uh-huh. Mm. And this is not the only version of Tony the Baker's story. <laughs> in 
No. In another, he fell in love with a woman who he saw every day walking by. I think it was a bakery specifically in this story. And in an attempt to lure her into talking to him, he spent months perfecting a recipe for a sweet bread. And then there's another version where he had gotten dumped and the resulting depressed breakup bread <laughs> was a Christmas miracle. Oh. And it became panettone. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so it's either like, oh, this worked out so well, or oh, it didn't work out at all. Here's my sad breakup bread. Yeah. Um, we've all been there. We had no, very important. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's another legend that's sort of a flip of this one, and it involves a nobleman named Ugetto. I couldn't find a pronunciation, so I'm going with that. Mm-hmm. Um, who fell for the baker's daughter. Ugetto's family disapproved and refused to give the couple their blessing to get married. But this didn't stop the two from meeting up at night in secret. Oh. However, <gasps> a baker <laughs> fell ill at this bakery, and Ugetto's lover had to step in to fill in his spot, meaning they had less time to meet up. And Ogeta was annoyed, so he developed a disguise, <laughs> a disguise, and worked at the bakery undercover. What? However, yes, <laughs> yes, I love this story, even though I'm like 100% sure it's not true. Um, there was another problem, though. A competitor opened a bakery nearby, so they were losing business. And Ugeto took it upon himself to strike back, adding more sugar and butter to the bread recipe. However, butter's expensive, so to afford it, he sold some of his hawks. Wait, what? Yes. <laughs> there are hawks in the story There now? are hawks in okay. the story. It's the best story I've read in a while. Because he was a hawk dealer of the <laughs> Duke of Milan. <laughs> so he sold his hawks. He got the butter. The bread was made. The customers loved it, but he wasn't done experimenting. He added some candied fruit and eggs to the mix and some raisins to make it festive for the holiday season. Kind of going back to that, like, lights thing you were saying, Lauren. Um, The townsfolk loved it. And Ugetto was able to marry the woman he loved. That story I mean, took turns that I was not expecting. I know. It's the hawks that I'm like, I feel like the Duke would have had questions about his hawks going missing, but maybe not. Maybe he was busy with other things, you know? <laughs> <laughs> maybe he was so impressed with the bread that he was like, eh. Maybe. Maybe. Um, <laughs> There's also a legend behind the tradition of saving a slice of panettone to eat on February 3rd, which listeners, please write in about this. Yeah. I'm fascinated by this. Uh-huh. Um, so the story goes that San Biagio, um, also St. Blaise, also known as St. Blaise, saved a child who was choking on a fishbone by feeding this kid bread. Oh, um, sure. And because of that, one of his many skills, he had a lot of very diverse set of skills, and it included protecting sore throats after this. Um, The idea is that on February 3rd, people toast up and butter the bread and eat it to keep away a sore throat and illness in general. And there are so many really fun interviews about this where people are like, I know it sounds silly, but I swear it works. (laughs) That's great. I know. Again, yeah, yeah. One of the earliest known written mentions of panettone is from a 1470s manuscript with recipes popping up fairly often in Italy by the 1800s. 
Uh, and yeah, pear tone can be tricky to pull off, still is. Um, so bakers have long searched for tips and shortcuts in making it. An Italian recipe from 1891 claimed that using baking soda as opposed to yeast not only sped up the process, but also resulted in something, quote, much better than the Milanese-style panettone. <gasps> oh, oh, no. I, mm-mm. Mm-mm. I'm stepping Many. away from that. Yes, me too, me too, and many at the time vehemently (laughs) disagreed. (laughs) It wasn't until the 1920s and 30s that the product began to be commercially, industrially produced. Um, And this helped to lower the price um, and to make it more available to more people. And on top of that, over the years, with industrialization, lowering the prices of sugar and flour and most things, panettone has largely become a much richer, sweeter bread from what I've read. Hmm. Uh-huh. It wasn't as as dense and sweet as it is now. Um, but again, let us know, listeners. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Waves of Italian immigrants spread panettone worldwide and their foods became a part of how they would express their identity and their history. And panettone was a part of that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, just just for one example, there was a whole wave of immigration from Italy to Peru in like the mid 1800s. And so, yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah, while panettone has long been a staple in Italy and in Italian bakeries and delis around the world where locals did adapt the recipe to what they had on hand, only recently did panettone start seeing a big boost outside of that, particularly in the U.K., uh, after it was mentioned in a 2015 episode of Peep Show, uh-huh. um, headlines from the 20 teens ask if we're in the quote golden age of panettone, or they wondered why American bakeries were quote obsessed with it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it really has had a glow up in recent years. Um, it's fun to read early descriptions calling it like a knockoff. Sad version of fruitcake. Oh. Not my words. Don't be at, mad at Ooh. me. I did not say this. Stepping away to, from that one, too. Heck. Yes. Uh, <laughs> this is a lot of stepping away in this episode. Um, two articles that are talking about really fancying it up, um, which people also like to argue about. They also, we've, I mean, every oh, yeah. episode almost, yeah. we talk about this. Yeah. <laughs> it's that thing of like, at what point does mm-hmm. a panettone become not a panettone if you've right. made it like too fancy um or right. too whatever yeah um mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> uh i i i will say that um uh this year 2022 uh saw the third annual panettone world cup in milan uh, bakers from all over the world went there in October or November of this year, like late October, early November, early November to compete um, in either the traditional category, um, which is just uh, candied fruits or the chocolate category, which is separate. Yeah, there, there were there were 42 finalists. And wow, I love that there's a World Cup of Pentatone. Yes, as there should be. That's that's only right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Mm hmm. Listeners, again, please let us know if you've been involved, participated. And if you've made panettone, have pretty pictures of panettone. If you just have, like, really good memories. um, Yeah. Yeah. Another thing to add to to the list for me. (laughs) I will try some. I'm very excited. They're very pretty. Um, they are. They are. They're. They're really. I. I just had this like urge to like bring you one like tonight 
Um, <laughs> but I, but it's it's really big. Like I mean, like I guess you are going to go visit family this weekend for the for the holidays. So um, so it, you could bring it with you, and you wouldn't. Oh. I was just like I was imagining your panic at like receiving <laughs> an entire cake. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't want to panic you with panatonia. Well, I appreciate that. Because uh, <laughs> uh, you said you called it stunning. So, <laughs> and like a foot tall, that's a, that's an undertaking. Yeah. I'm curious about the slicing part. But I, yeah, if I showed up to my family with a panatonia, they'd be very happy with me. Um, so we'll see. Who knows what tomorrow will bring. <laughs> but that's what we have to say about Panettone for now. It is. Um, we do have some listener mail for you, though, and we are going to get into that as soon as we get back from one more quick break for a word from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm preaching to somebody today who is waiting for God to give you your next step. And you don't know what it is yet. You need God to show you your next step. Because God, I can't stay where I am, like I am, where it is. This isn't going to work. I, I have to move on, but I don't know where. A lot of time you'll use it as an excuse. Well, I don't know how. I don't know where. I don't know what. God, if you show me. God, if you tell me. God, if, no, 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 no. You know enough right now. And if you needed to know more, he would show you. Hey, this is Stephen Furtick. I want to invite you to listen to my podcast, Elevation with Stephen Furtick. I am here to help you for the battles that you face in life, for the times when you feel discouraged, for the times that you need guidance from God. I want to give you the truth of what he says about you to help you rise to your full potential. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
back. Thank you, sponsor. Yes, thank you. And we're back with it's like a rising and then kind of a settling yeah i don't know (laughs) that's what panatone is but we're going with it we're going yeah Mm. close Mm. enough (laughs) uh mike wrote a message in response to my story about how i use a lot of goofy kind of euphemisms when I would, when I could be swearing, when I would like to be swearing. Uh, Okay. All right. All right. Yeah. Okay. So Mike wrote, swearing has never been a big part of my vocabulary, but the birth of my son pushed me to adopt even more alternatives. Hmm. In pre-pandemic days, I was working in an office. One day I was walking back to my desk and dropped my mouse. It hit the floor and the door to the battery compartment popped off. The batteries flew out in opposite directions. I yelled, son of a biscuit. (laughs) While picking up the pieces, I realized that people sitting nearby were laughing at my exclamation. I could only shrug and eventually laugh with them. This group of employees developed an inside joke based on that day. Whenever something was going wrong, they would say things like, oh, a lot of biscuits today, or I'm making biscuits over here. No regrets on my part. I still say son of a biscuit whenever the need arises. I love it. That is a good one. That is a good one. Yeah. I have a friend who says son of a biscuit. (laughs) Yes. It's it's so funny because you're kind of like, like I said, when I was telling the story, I don't know where mine came from. Like a good gravy train. Like no one says that in my life. It's funny what just comes out. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And biscuit's a great word. Biscuit is a great word. Yeah, because most, I mean, if we were a different show, you know we love etymology, but most curse words have that kind of hard, like, clicking T, yeah, K yeah. sound at the end. So biscuit. Yeah, mm-hmm. biscuit. Yeah, it's satisfying yeah. to say. Very, very yeah. satisfying. I love this. And I love that it was adopted <laughs> by your coworkers. Yes. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, um, Samantha wrote... I just listened to the Artichoke episode, and I had to write in. My mom named me Samantha after the main character from Bewitched, so I've always loved the show. One of my favorite scenes is right after Endora, her mother, meets Darren, her husband. It does not go well. Uh, Afterward, Darren and Samantha are talking, and they have this adorable interaction. Uh, uh, Darren says, Say, could she, I mean, really turn me into an artichoke? If she wanted to. That's creepy. What could you do? I mean, if she did. Well, nothing except, except what? I could become an artichoke too. (laughs) It's so sweet. Uh, I actually tried to work it into my wedding ceremony, but couldn't find a place for it. (laughs) Oh, that is so sweet. (laughs) Oh, goodness. (laughs) Two artichokes in love. forgotten about that scene that's so lovely it is and i love that that you're named after this and that tried to work it to your wedding ceremony that's fantastic so good (laughs) so so good um well thanks to both of those listeners for writing in if you would like to write to us, you can. Our email is hello at saverpod.com. We're also on social media. You can find us on uh, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at saverpod. And we do hope to hear from you. Saver is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, you can visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Thanks, as always, to our super producers, Dylan Fagan and Andrew Howard. Thanks to you for listening. And we hope that lots more good things are coming your way.
This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Today's episode is brought to you by Discover Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico is home to a thriving culinary scene based on products and traditions from the native Taino, African, and Spanish peoples that have influenced it. When you go, there are a host of restaurants, bars, breweries, distilleries, farms, and coffee houses to dig into, from five-star experiences to local favorites. No passport required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. The Elevation with Stephen Furtick podcast was created with you in mind. This is a podcast for those feeling discouraged or needing guidance from God. Together in this podcast, we'll dive deep into scripture, uncover the powerful truths that will help you rise above your limitations and embrace your full potential. We're here to equip you with the tools you need to conquer life's challenges. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.